to Beatitudes, where your host, Dr. Kwame Tsukina, will give you tools to experience wisdom in your everyday life. Listen each week as Dr. Kwame Tsukina shares stories that will help guide your faith, perspective, and attitude in every situation. This is Dr. Tsukina of Indigenous Messengers International, and here is our host. Today's episode is Be Beautifully Broken, Therefore Humble. In 2012, I was asked by my son Daniel to speak at his wedding reception at the, at the marriage of he and his wife at their wedding, and just to give a little speech, so to speak. Several people were speaking and talking about Daniel and Kelly and their lives, and it was an inspirational time for all of us. So I was really honored, and I agreed to do this. I wanted to incorporate stories from from my son's life, and especially his childhood, that formed a picture of the amazing human that he is, and I wanted to knit those stories in about his new wife as well. So I really put my mind and heart into the process, but I also prayed for just the right words that would highlight the spiritual aspect of the occasion without being religious. At the time I was traveling away from home, and teaching in meetings on the road, and I was staying with a friend at her house on the lake. And as I woke up that morning, I was spending some time in bed resting and kind of thinking about what what would I speak on? What would I say in this at my son's wedding? And it came to me exactly what to share in this wedding speech. It was ins- It was inspirational to me as well. When my son Daniel was little, he had made a yellow mug that you drink out of, out of pottery, and had given it to me as a gift. He was about seven years old at the time, so as all moms normally do, uh, I cherished this beautiful little mug because it had been made with his own hands. And at some point, several years after he'd given it to me, it was accidentally broken, and the handle broke off the side of, of the mug. You know, I was really downhearted, but I couldn't bear to throw it away because my beloved son had made this for me, so I decided to turn it into a pencil and pen holder for my desk. This way I'd be able to repurpose it, and I could see it daily, and it would be inspirational to me. It remind me of Daniel when he was little, and, and I really cherished that mug. So that mug turned pencil holder, it took up permanent residence at my workspace, and it remained there for over two decades until my son's wedding. In the time I'd spent resting in the bed at my friend's house, I'd been given just exactly what I wanted to share at the wedding, and it involved the mug that my son had made and gifted to me. So I called my husband at home because he was going to meet me at the wedding, and I had him ship it to me right away because my son's wedding was going to be in about a week. And I just prayed, oh, let nothing happen to this mug. Help it to get to me. The wedding was in New Orleans, and as this is the custom in New Orleans. We did what they call a frontline parade from the wedding ceremony to the reception. It was a couple miles away, and, and we were led by a New Orleans band. We marched the streets, twirling our parasols. The women and the men had handkerchiefs, and they twirled them around, and we danced, and we laughed along the way. It's a memory that we will never forget. It was very celebratory time. Once inside the venue, 
where the reception was, the food and drinks began to flow, and the, the, the band began to play, the band that they had there. They had a country music band, being that we are all from Nashville. And after some time had passed, and it was time then for the speeches to begin. When it was my turn, I walked up to the front carrying that, little, that yellow mug that my son had made all those years ago that I had cherished for so many years. And as I looked at the mug, year after year of the memories of my son, my youngest son, it bombarded my mind. I remembered him with his little toe-headed blonde hair in his toddler years, his elementary school years when he made the mug, his high school years, and even his adult years. So many memories and so much love. As I began to speak, I told funny stories about my son from his childhood, and the laughter filled the room as I shared story after story. I segued into his time with his wife and the life they had, they had already begun together and things about her that were precious. And I talked about them as a dynamic couple destined to live an incredible partnership as husband and wife. As I closed my honor speech for them, I held up the yellow pottery mug that my son had made for me. And I told the story behind the mug of how I'd used it for years as a mug until it was broken. And then in my desire to keep it, I had made it into a pencil holder. I explained how precious it was to me and how valuable the pottery was because the person who made it for me, my son Daniel, was of such value to me. I explained for that reason that I just couldn't bear to toss it away and part with it. Instead, I had found a new purpose for it so that I could keep it close and enjoy its beauty every day. I then shared that as people, we are the same. We are a hand-fashioned piece of pottery by God, the great potter, and we are equally valuable to him. He's made us into chosen vessels, and we are beautiful in his sight. I share that as we make our way through the difficulties in this world, we all encounter things that chip off our paint and can even break off our handles, just like this mug. But because God loves us so much, he does not discard us, but he repurposes us into equally beautiful vessels that are still valuable to him and valuable and useful to humanity. In essence, we are beautifully broken, all of us. I held out the yellow broken pottery in my hand and I said, this beautifully broken piece of pottery that my son made is a representation of him, of Daniel. And Kelly, I give you my beautifully broken son as I handed her the piece of pottery. And it's still in their house today. There was not a dry eye in the room, probably because we all know we are broken in some way, but we are just not aware that we're beautiful in it. For all of us in that room that day, it was a deep, intimate revelation that it's really okay for us to be just that, beautifully broken. As I come into the process of this week's episode of the podcast, I'm soberly aware of my own brokenness. And although it's beautiful to God, it is challenging to me to lean into it and accept the powerlessness I feel in the process. I wasn't taught that brokenness is okay or that it's beautiful. 
in our pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps culture, it's pretty much a foreign concept. Surrendering to the process of leaning in to the vulnerability at times feels like I'm going to die. It's a very out-of-control and powerless feeling. It's not easy for me. As a firstborn in my family, a hero child in my dysfunctional family, it's not foreign to be powerless. It becomes easier as I let go of trying to control the process and surrender to it. Now, it's easy to say that, but it's very difficult when you're in that process. We are all broken in one way or another, all of us. No one gets out of this life without getting broken. We don't get through it without being knocked around by life a bit. And pretending we are not broken takes a lot of energy that we can use for living. Recently, my younger brother passed away from a 45-year battle with type 1 juvenile diabetes. He was found unconscious in his home where he lived alone. A few weeks later, our family put the homestead that he had been living in, that we had lived in, with our parents for up for sale after over 60 years where we were raised as children and spent our holidays And then when we were married, brought our children back there. For over 60 years, we had that place. When I went over there to walk through it, I did fine when I was walking through and seeing all the empty rooms. I walked around the house. I took pictures. I prayed over it, and I released it to the next people. I thanked God for giving us that. It was, however, a steadfast place in our family for all those years, a place to return. And it, it really gutted me. I, I didn't even realize it. On the way back home on the airplane, I have a, a, an illness that causes anaphylaxis between Nashville, Tennessee, and Phoenix, where I was going to get my next flight back home. I had a severe anaphylactic episode, and when they landed the plane, had to go by ambulance to Phoenix all by myself, which oftentimes that happens when I'm traveling. And deal with that. And it was very, very difficult. You, you might as well say, I, w- I'm, I was broken. I am broken. And after that, in, including that, I have had three near-death experiences from anaphylaxis in, within about a two-month period where I've had to take ambulance to the ER. And then a few days into the holidays, I was over with my family, and I went to the Cheesecake Factory I was going to, to go over there and have a nice you know, meal by myself because I was visiting my children away from home. And I had a severe choking episode in Cheesecake Factory where I had to run up to a gentleman and show him to give me the Heimlich maneuver because I was going to die right there in the middle of the Cheesecake Factory. He did the Heimlich maneuver, and it saved my life. These things that happened to us that are traumatizing, they're, they, they're breaking. They're scary. You know, I, ha- I sat there 30 minutes after that because my legs and arms were shaking so much, I couldn't really walk because I dumped so much adrenaline. Our bodies will let us know and remind us of our brokenness, even if our minds and our psyches don't want us to know that. It was all too much too close together, and it formed a crack in my being like the handle falling off the mug. Dealing with a 36-year autoimmune illness that is life-threatening 
and causes great suffering, has also worn the paint off my soul like wear and tear on the mug. I can't tell you after 36 years of being an overcomer and walking through these things, every time you walk through a situation, you have to have new faith for that. You can, you can pull up and recall what God has brought you through and how he has. Like an Ebenezer, you can look at that. Each time, though, you have to have a new measure of faith. And you have to go to God for that. I'm reminded of when Corey Tim Boom said to her father, I'm, I'm really afraid I'm not going to be able to have what it takes if they come to get us and take us because she, they had, their family had supported the Jewish people during the Holocaust. I'm afraid I'm not going to have what it takes. And he said, Corey, when do I give you your ticket to take the train? And she said, right before I get on it. And he said, that, that's the way it is with God. He will give you the measure that you need right before you get on it. So it is with me. I can't go through 36 years of these experiences. Each one is different. Each one strengthens my faith and my resolve. But I have to return each time to get a new measure of what I need for that battle, for that challenge. Not everyone can see the scratches and chips in me. I look very good on the outside. I've had people say, you look great for a a very sick person. My medical doctors, they marvel. They look at my chart and they go, we can't even see how you're making it. We can't even see, you know, you're doing so well. You still want to live. And basically, I've said to them, God put a fire in my bones, in my belly, and I want to keep living until he's the one that decides. Um, But the bottom line is most of us can't see the cracks and the chips and the handles falling off on each other because we we come into life and we present very well. But they're there because I know who I was before all the hard knocks of my life changed me. And as we age, that vulnerability increases. It increases. As I'm in my 70s now, I feel much more vulnerable. I can see the end of my life. And most of the time, we don't want to think about those things. We don't want to think about the time we have to, if we live long enough, we have to give up a lot of the freedoms that we've had or our children step in and they're helping make decisions. And it's not something that's comforting to think about letting go, the surrendering process, the process of powerlessness. But it's there. I'm aware of it because I've had many, what I would call dress rehearsals, where I've almost passed and I've been so vulnerable with my illness where I've not been able to perform and produce that I am aware in that way it does become a gift in some ways to understand that none of us get out of this life alive. We are all going to cross the threshold with God, and we're all going to have to surrender to that process. The near-death experiences and the uncertainty of when they'll come, when they'll reappear with anaphylaxis and the sheer suffering, it can wear me down. It's not something that I can think my way out of because the suffering is not in my mind, so to speak, but it's in every cell of my body. It's the way the physical body is made up. And even doing this podcast today is very difficult for me. I've spent a week in bed. My voice is cracky because I've, I have attacks on my throat with my illness, with this, the way it, it comes at me. And so... I want to show up here looking great today and sounding great. It's just not the way that life is. If we want to be used, we have to be willing to be used, sometimes very broken. Grief is that way, too. It's not always sadness. 
in the death of my brother, when my granddaughter drowned, the, my mother passed, my dad passed. The, we have grief, too, that has to do with loss of things in our lives, loss of relationships, loss of abilities, loss of jobs. Grief is like that. It, it's not always sadness. Sometimes it's just bone-deep fatigue, the inability to remember things in details. Where's my phone? I can't find my phone. When my granddaughter passed away, I had my glasses on, and I was walking around looking for my glasses. It affects the brain so profoundly, but it's in every cell of the body, and it can cause pain, and it can cause feelings of panic in the middle of the chest, that threatens to suck us in like a black hole. And not everything, you know, like in the, in the church setting I've been in, there is that the casting out of demons, but you cannot cast out a wound. And it does say in the scriptures, we grieve not as one without hope. So we do have hope in that process. But the grief is still there for us if we're human. If we want to actually be human, we cannot go over it. We cannot go under it. We cannot go around it. We have to go through it. I hit my low, low point last week. It was on my birthday. Everything came to a head that day. All I could do was cry all day long. I called two of my friends. I get on the phone with them, and as soon as I heard their voices, I began to weep. And I couldn't stop crying. And I wasn't happy about it. I told God, I can't cry like this. Today's my birthday. And he answered to me like he does, not an audible voice. I'm not hallucinating, just a knowing that I know that I know in my spirit, a familiarity with, because I have a tight relationship with God. He answered, well, you cried on your original birthday, the day you were born, didn't you? And you were being born. Perhaps today you were being reborn into another era of your life. And I thought back to... That makes sense, because when I came out of my mother, I'm sure I was kind of in shock, traumatized, and scared, because I was trying to breathe oxygen for the first time. It was not without trauma. The birth process is not without trauma. You're being pushed, and everything's pushing you all around, and you've spent your life in this safe place, life as you've known it. And all of a sudden you're propelled out and there's these lights and loud noises and it's not always what you would call pleasant. Well, I answered him with, I feel like I'm having a breakdown. Please let this be a breakthrough. His answer was, was this, you can't have a breakthrough without some form of breaking in it. That's why the word break is there. The creator of everything is not afraid of breaking. He's not afraid of allowing us to be broken. Even when we talk about dawn, we say dawn, D-A-W-N, is breaking. There's breaking in, involved in things, and it's not pleasant always because we feel out of control. If we lean into the process of brokenness, it makes us feel vulnerable. It produces humility, and it helps us to be humble. It's not always in our ego-based strength and in our Western culture. It's not something I don't think we've been taught much to do, and it also can be scary. 
many of us, myself included, we say we believe in God, but it's God plus ourselves. And in my own situation, it's very humbling and scary because I have to know so much about my own illness because it's rare. And when I get picked up by an ambulance or I have to have stuff on board and and I have to show the, the medical people what to do, many of them have not heard of what I'm dealing with. And and your EMTs and people, they don't, they're they there to do certain things. They're, they're, they can't know everything, especially rare disorders. And even when I get to the hospital, I have to usually be alert enough to, to let them know what's happening and give them my paperwork from my doctor showing them what to do. In fact, my, my daughter, Annie, when we went for me to have a surgery one time, and I had to be awake for the surgery, I couldn't be put to sleep because I was re- would react. At the very end, they were coming in and they were missing some things, and I was having to tell them, you know, this has to be done, this has to be done. Not that I'm wanting to do that. It would be nice to let down and let someone take control when you're in that situation. But some of them didn't really know what to do, even though they'd been, I went in early to try to help. Annie said, if you get Alzheimer's, you're screwed. (laughs) Because she was very aware that I'm having to be so intentional and so alert to help the people know how to help me. Well, that's frightening as I get older. It really is. It's having to release myself into a deeper form of powerlessness and surrender. And the body doesn't always go there easily, especially when it feels under attack. When we feel under attack or we're fighting for our lives, everything in the body perks up and tries to fight for us. So it's not always an easy process. The creator of everything is not afraid of breaking, and he's not afraid of allowing us to be broken. And one of these reasons is because of that very thing I just said, is that humility and being humble is a part of that process that comes out of that. The scriptures say in Psalm 147.3 that God heals up the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And he uses the brokenness in our lives, our suffering, to allow others to see God himself working in our weakness. In 1997, when I was led to travel to Israel on an intercessory prayer trip and to tour the land, I was really ill at the time. I had no strength on board to go. I lamented to the Lord my inability to make the trip in the shape I was in. I'm like, I'm not sure I want to do this, but I felt led to do it. And his answer to me was very surprising because he said, Kwame, your illness is not your disability. Your strengths are. At once when I heard that, I thought of the scripture that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he was speaking about that to me. That's not to say I can just willfully think my way through whatever I want to do, quoting the scripture to get me through. What I realized is that when he calls me to do something, then he will provide the strength for me to do it. I can't muster up the strength myself and will myself to do it. Over my 36 years of serious illness, I've experienced his hand in my life, enabling me to participate in things well beyond my physical, financial, and spiritual abilities. And I marvel even now after all these years at how he strengthens me. I never take that for granted because each time I don't know if it's going to come or not. You know, an act of faith is not knowing that you know that you know that you, that you then you would not have to have faith on board. 
Faith for me is like I'm on this, when I'm going through these things, I'm on a roller coaster and I'm being pushed from side to side and it's kind of scary. And then in these storms of life and I look up ahead and, and the tracks have run out. Faith for me is I have to believe when I get there, the tracks will be made there by God. When it says work out your salvation and fear and trembling, there is struggle with that. When you hit these places that you're beyond yourself. In 1997, in the first few years of my illness, I had been ill for a while, but by that time, I had tried every way I could to get healed. Because I was suffering, you know? We want to be comfortable in this life. We want to feel safe. If you're cold, you're going to put on a coat. I had tried everything, doctors, deliverance, medicine, vitamins, prayers, you name it. I was so desperate to get my life back. I'd spent a lot of time in bed because I had very little strength to do anything and was very sick with many serious illnesses, symptoms. I was praying one morning and God showed me a picture in my mind of bananas in a bowl. He asked me what I saw and I said, I see bananas, but they're kind of rotten. They got these gnats, like these fruit fly gnats flying around them. He asked me then, if I wanted to be into self-preservation, those were the words he used with me, and like those bananas, lay in, in, in a bowl or in my bed and draw gnats, or did I want to be eaten and give humanity sustenance and go out like a bang? And I told him I did not want to draw gnats for sure. I'm like, no, I do not want to draw any gnats. That day, I got up out of my sick bed and moved into life still sick still suffering, still weak, but leaning on God and walking on. I've been doing that now for over three decades. Do I believe in healing? Absolutely. I was supernaturally healed of thyroid cancer. And God continues to heal me day after day after day after day. But I have had to lean on Him. I have not been able to be self-reliant all these years. It's not an easy process. I've had many near-death experiences. I've suffered deeply, and many of the people in my life have watched me suffer, my children, my friends, my husband, different people, my mother, my, my father, because we don't suffer alone, guys. When we suffer, other people suffer with us, and it's a process for them as well. And many times right before I get up out of the bed to join my family, friends, and the body of Messiah in the arena of life, I lay there and I wonder if I'm going to be able to do what I've been called to do or make it or show up for my grandchildren for their weddings. Or I don't know sometimes until the last minute if I'm going to have, if God's going to download me with that. Sometimes it comes earlier, sometimes right before I need it. I'm weak, I'm vulnerable, and I'm scared. But I go anyway. I don't wait. I'm, I'm not waiting to be made whole before I live. I go broken. This makes me want to cry. I go beautifully broken. And he sustains me. And since I'm so dependent on him only, he can get the credit. He can get the attention. And he gets the glory. Yeshua himself was broken 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. He cried out to God in his suffering, asking, let this cup pass from me. And I understand that because I have cried that out many, many times myself in his humanity. He was the, at the end of himself because our bodies have an end. So much that he sweated blood. There he battled his own form of trauma in his body where God had to help him overcome. And I think about him in that situation where, because I have been at my own place that Beth Moore calls the place of further steel, where no one can go with you but you and your friends are right outside praying for you. But you have, it's this battle that you have to wage on your own. And it's comforting to have the people around you praying for you, but it's a place you have to go alone. And with what I've had in my own body, where it reacts to these traumas and these things with my illness, I'm aware that he placed within our bodies these certain things our bodies just do, uh, the fight, flight, or the freeze, or or our body's heightened awareness or dumping of cortisol, or he put those things in our body to help us to live through these things. Our bodies take over. And do these things so humanity could continue to exist. But in these situations where you're buffeted like that and your body's doing all that, only God can overcome that for me. And only God, the creator of the universe, could overcome that for him. God had to help him overcome his own fight flight, his own freeze that trauma when you're facing death and facing suffering. It wasn't just like a quick death for him. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be treated horribly, abused verbally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. And there's certain things our bodies do when they're threatened. And only God can overcome that process. It's a process of feeling trapped, trapped in circumstances, trapped in illness, trapped in a marriage, trapped with a, a, a family member that has mental illness that you love and you're trying to help, whatever that situation is. Even though you want to be there, there's times our body just feels trapped. We're beyond ourselves. We've hit a wall. Yeshua, Jesus, too, was beautifully broken, and he poured himself out for us as our example of where to go We're at the end of ourselves. To the one who made us and can restore our souls, the creator of all things. I want you to know in the 36 years that I've been so ill, I've hit these deep places. And I have a group of women I call the Pearl Girls. And I, we have a prayer, uh, we set up a prayer text. And when I put out a prayer, and we do it for each other, my situation doesn't always change. And my suffering doesn't. But I am taken above to be able to transcend that and hang on and put my arms and feel God's presence around me in those times, much like when they lifted the gentleman down through the roof for healing or when Moses, when Aaron and her held his hands up. We need that for each other at times, and we can't get it if we aren't vulnerable enough to say, I need help. Brokenness can come in several ways. And the heavy burden of suffering, it can't be put into one size fits all. Brokenness can come from missing the mark of our own bad choices. It can come through addictions in our lives, death of a loved one, an illness, a disability, abuse, a failed marriage, financial ruin, physical hardship. It can come in all shapes and sizes. It's different from each person. 
however the process comes. The depth of suffering is all too alike. We can't measure suffering. I have people that say, Quam, you've suffered so much. I don't even, and I'm like, it's not measurable with us all. We all have our measure and we cannot compare suffering from one person to another. Whatever, however it comes, it produces a fractured heart that cannot bear up under the weight of the pain it's carrying. Years ago, in a retreat I hosted in Nashville as an expressive arts therapist, I did this exercise with participants of the retreat. And you guys can do this in your own home. I went, I went out and, um, to a place, at one of the dollar stores, and I went and bought all different colors of plates, um, ceramic-type plates. And I brought them back to my place, and, and I had them all set up there, all different colors. And I had each participant get several plates, take them to their seats, and then I explained that the plates were going to be used that day in our art session. When they returned to their seats, I had them write out on a piece of paper what they were carrying in their bodies, in their hearts, in their minds. Traumatic experiences, hurts, disappointments, secrets of abuse, and any difficulties from the past. After everyone had written their list, I instructed them to find someone there that they trusted. And we'd been together for a while, so there was, there was elements of trust there. And to read their list to their buddy, their trusted partner, and then take the plates and smash them with a hammer, putting an end to the list they were carrying as burdens in their bodies and lives. We then prayed for the participants and asked God to come and heal the wounds and bind up the broken hearts. After that, they took the broken pieces of their lives that had been smashed and made a beautiful mosaic plaque out of the broken pieces of their lives to remind them that God takes our broken pieces and makes something beautiful out of it. Again, we are beautifully broken. Every home I've lived in since, I went around after and I picked up all the extra pieces and I put them in a big tub, and I've moved them from city to city as I've moved. And in every home that I've been in, I have made beautiful mosaics in my yard that have been left when we sold the place of the broken pieces. So even in that, the pieces that were left over were made into beautiful brokenness. Brokenness is not weakness like in I'm weak, that kind of weakness. It's coming to an end of ourselves. And spiritual maturity is not having it all together. Brokenness creates an atmosphere for openness, for transparency, for humility, and gratitude, also for transformation. Brandon Cox, who is a writer who writes on leadership, says this, I've learned that the best leaders are broken leaders. They have been hurt and will be hurt more and will continue to allow God's healing to take place in their lives. They suffer vulnerability or weakness, that type of weakness, and they experience God's strength. And then he says, I lead best when I own my own brokenness. In our gift-focused, faith-based institutions, We often look for quick fixes and silver bullets to bring an end to our struggles. I did that. I I think that's just human. It's just a human thing that we do. We just want our our lives back, and we want to stop suffering. 
especially in our Western culture where everything is done quickly. My eight-year-old granddaughter, Bug, says, patience is boring. Whenever I say to her, we have to be patient, she'll say, patience is boring. And you know what? Sometimes I feel the same way. But there is something gained in character when we can actually transcend our circumstances and overcome them because, you know, we do want to be overcomers and watch Jesus work through us beyond what we could do in our own resources and strength. I'm amazed when Yeshua, Jesus, wears me like a glove. That's what I call it because I I was given a visual of it. I'm laying down empty like a glove, laying on a, a table, a coffee table in a living room, unable to move, just laying there like a glove, lifeless and not at all impactful. Jesus comes along and slides the essence of his being into my glove-like life and then gets me up and moves me around, pulling off things I could never ask or imagine. I kind of watch this glove, like moving around, impactful. To me, this is miraculous. To me, my life truly becomes a sign and a wonder in and of itself. And I have my friends and people closest to me that really know how weak I am and how vulnerable I am and how dependent I am. They marvel at it. They're like, I I, I just, to watch this is amazing. And it's wonderful that we get up and, and... in our churches and institutions, and we talk about how God healed me and this miracle God did, this quick work. And folks, that does happen. It's happened to me. But is it any less of a miracle for God to get in someone's body and move them around through 36 years of deep suffering and near-death experiences and trauma and tragedy and do these beautiful things? through this beautifully broken person. In my life, I've been unable to choose what I'm able to do based on how I feel. That's something I had to say, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this because I don't feel like I can. I, ha- I, I am aware of my feelings. I'm a former therapist. I understand the power of feelings. I have to look at feelings, acknowledge them, but then I have to ask God, what do you want me to do? I can't make a decision based on how much strength I have on board. I must ask God to give me the strength as I move forward into whatever I feel he is leading me to do. If he is not in it, if he's not in it, I'm not going to have the ability to accomplish it because of my own brokenness, my own vulnerability. That's why he gets all the credit. My ability to accomplish anything on my own was obliterated, and that's what I'm saying, obliterated, blown up 36 years ago with my illness. I learned then that God's strength is made perfect in my weakness, in my humanity. I don't like being this dependent. I can tell you that right now. That has never gone away from me. I like being able, you know, you're giving a gift in life of life, and then you're also given a gift called to choose And having the ability to choose what you're going to do in a day, people don't even realize that it's a gift. When I went to the mastocytosis conference and they had done a survey on 500 of us, I think that was the right number, and they were giving us the results of the survey about what was the most difficult thing about this illness. And they said, 
I think it was almost 90% of the people, number one on the list was the inability to plan. <laughs> Most people, when they get up in the, in the mornings, they, they're able to plan their day. They don't know that's a gift that can be taken at any time through illness, through eldership, through death, through any number of things. We are unable to, to choose to do something that day. It is a gift. And I didn't like that going away, and I still don't like that. I don't like being that dependent. And I don't think that's something that's just wrong with me. I, I think when we have Jesus plus ourselves, it's a lot easier when we're walking in our own strength than when we're, we're left to the place that it's just his strength. I think as a human being, that is a struggle. I like feeling strong in my body and getting to decide what I want to do and know I can pull it off myself. But it's not worked out that way for me. And God's used it to build my dependency on him and not myself. When I was a little girl, my mom said when I was three, I would get the little hobby horse and I would put it up on the couch. For some reason, I wanted it on the couch and I would get on it backwards. And when she would try to help me get on it frontwards, I would say, me do it myself. I still like that. Brokenness truly is the catalyst for humility. And it makes us humble because we know we've come to the end of ourselves. And without God and the help of mankind, we simply cannot make it alone. So we need the help of God and mankind. We need others. We need God. And this one revelation alone is profound and life-changing. Brokenness hurts horribly. It's very uncomfortable, and few would choose it. But the fruit of it, what it produces in our lives, is well worth the process of brokenness if we're willing to lean into it and not resist. As I'm now walking through, and I'm going to say seems like crawling through, a very challenging time with grief over the loss of my brother, cancer in my family, relapse of my serious illness, financial challenges, and end-of-life decisions facing my husband and I at our ages. Fighting the process through denial and minimization doesn't help me at all. Beating myself up for not having enough faith to not be affected by it doesn't either. And denying it exists only makes it come out sideways in my body. At this point, I pray to be able to surrender to the process of the feeling of being totally out of control, knowing that the God of the universe has it all under his control, and ultimately, it will be okay. I don't have to have faith in faith. I don't have to have faith in myself. My faith is in God alone. Thank you for joining me today and allowing me with my cracky voice because I am having some issues right now uh, and being and allowing me to share my brokenness with you. Um, it's always humbling to do that, but it does produce fruit in my life. I want, I want to um, thank you for your time. I, as I always say, time is valuable. You've given me some of yours today. I don't take that lightly ever, possibly because my time has been almost snuffed out many times. I realize how, how to cherish that time. So thank you for that. And I also 
want to tell you again that we have a website, indigenousmessengers.com. And so it's a website where you can go and you can look at pictures of our lives. You can get to know us a little better, especially myself, since you're uh, on this journey with me. And there are things there that you can um, look at into in our store. We have things that we offer. That is how we support our ministry and our what we do in uh, our everyday lives. Um, and I want to remember my grandchildren and children right now again. They are the motivator for me to keep. When you when you hear my story, they put a demand on my future. I'm still here because I I have FOMO. I have fear of missing out one minute with them. I love them all so much, and I dedicate this podcast to them. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Beatitudes with Dr. Kwamenik Sukina. Be sure to follow the show for more tools on how to experience wisdom in your everyday life for you to walk in victory with the right attitude.